The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready for operational excellence? Welcome to the Visual Workplace, work that makes sense, where your host and visual workplace expert, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, shares powerful visual principles and practices to optimize your operations and make them safer, faster, better, and far less costly. The Visual Workplace. You can't get to excellence without it. Now, here's Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. Gwendolyn Galsworth, and you are at the Visual Workplace. Let the workplace speak work that makes sense. This is our weekly radio show in which we look at some aspect of that, of how to embed the intelligence of our operational system into the landscape, into the dynamic living landscape of work through visual devices and visual systems. How to install the language, because we are talking about a language that's made up of devices. This is visual connectivity. This is visual communication. How to install that language of our current level of excellence. Even if we're not quite as excellent as we wish we were, <laughs> or we, as we know we will be, we install that level and it becomes a platform. A platform made up of visual devices, visual systems, visual mini-systems, so that we can literally see how we think, how we operate, and we can make adjustments from there. We can find more powerful devices if, in fact, we are not getting the behavior change. Because visuality is about taking information and translating it into behavior, but not through meetings and Q&A and OJT, but translating information into behavior through visual devices that embed that information and therefore embed that behavior into the living landscape of work. That's the formula. That's what visuality does. And why do we bother? Why do we do it? We do it for the magnificent bottom line benefits. Improved safety, better quality, more aligned delivery time, shrinking costs, a 15% and often 30% increase in productivity, in resources applied to ours, in productivity. And splendid cultural alignment, a spirited and engaged workforce on all levels. All levels. Operators, yes. Supervisors, yes. GMs, yes. Managers and engineers, yes. Field staff, complete alignment. And we also enjoy ourselves at work. Visuality takes the struggle out of work and allows ourselves to, allows us to simply flow into our work to bring the better part of ourselves into the work setting. Splendid cultural alignment. And what are we aligning with? We're aligning with the cultural intent, the corporate intent, and we're enjoying ourselves. The enterprise becomes increasingly aware, fluid, wonderful. 
Wonderful. So welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Visual Workplace. And as I say each week, this becomes a call-in show when you call in. The number for the call-in is 866-472-5790, 866-472-5790. Our website is visualworkplace.com. Please take a look. We have a wonderful gallery of video clips explaining what visuality is and the basic mechanisms and also a very good sequence on 5S talking about the origins and some crimes and misdemeanors. (laughs) So that's all on our homepage at visualworkplace.com. Also, we are doing a series of follow-up sessions on the public seminars that we offered in the first part of this year so that the people who attended can come together again and ask questions, seek reinforcement, tell us their stories, show us their devices, let us comment. A group came, we've had uh, three now, I think we have three to go. This is for our public seminars only. We did quite a bit in the beginning of the year. I'm sorry, in the first half of the year, I think we did six public seminars, which is a lot for a half a year, but I enjoy them very much. We do a day of the content, what is a visual workplace, how does it work, and on the second day, we do hands-on uh, doing an assessment of a host plant against the protocol of visuality, the profile of visuality. So these follow-up sessions are a way for people to go further, to get their follow-on questions asked and answered. And sometimes they bring in a particular issue. An avionics company last week said, you know, I want to work on our visual pull and creating um, standard whip so we can smooth out the line. And we talked about that and some mechanisms for that. Someone else wanted to focus more closely on the machine. We talked about ways of doing that. And I shared a lot of pictures. We've got an unbelievable amount of solutions, visual solutions in our database, 72,000. I think there must be more like 120,000 because it was 72,000 last time we counted, which was about a decade ago. So, you know, wonderful, wonderful visual solutions from many, many, many different companies, including engineering offices, including hospitals, factories, open pit mines. So check the calendar out on our website, For other events that are public, we're going to be in uh, Mexico City area in October, in the UK in November, going to be at the Shingo Prize Manufacturing Conference in September in Knoxville, and uh, we will um, give you, you know, flyers and more information as that gets specified. So, and also please check out our free podcast. We've got them organized in categories. They're not just thrown up there. Same with our newsletter. You can sort through them by title or by subject or by search code. It's fine. The articles are all there. Read them, share them, print them out, send them on. They're really quite, quite useful. So, lots and lots of ways of being involved. We'd like to invite you to consider our Work That Makes Sense system, which we think is terrific for uh, online for uh, operators, for operator-led visuality. Let me get my tongue straight so I can talk to you. Lots and lots and lots of things. Today, today we are going to continue, today we are going to continue in our series of The Hero Within. This is the fifth in that series. I think we will do this for another couple of um, episodes to round it out. And remember what we're talking about is the hero within at work and how the mechanisms of visuality can help that exceptional part of ourselves come out. 
So the technicalities of the visual workplace, the need to know, need to share, eye-driven visuality. And this week, we're going to be talking about some of the other cultural, oh, shall we say collisions, other cultural collisions that happen as this hero comes out. And this hero does not always look the same. This hero is you. So whoever you are, it has your particular stamp. This is not a cartoon hero. I want to say some more about this. Let's begin the show. We are continuing to build the case. There is a hero within each of us, and that hero wants to get out, not just in our everyday lives, not just in the way we interface with the world of community, family, sports, service, but also with the world of work. That hero wants to contribute in a way that is exceptional. You know, a hero sees a tiny bit further than the, the part of us that's not quite the hero yet. Sees a tiny bit further. Or in the uh, words of uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson, who was one of the uh, great thought leaders in our country during colonial times, he said, you know, the thing about a, a hero is a hero is no braver than an ordinary person, but he is brave five minutes longer. So it's just seeing a bit further, sticking to it a bit longer, that makes us heroic. The hero distinguishes him or herself, not out of ego, but as mentioned, out of this innate desire, this drive to be helpful, to serve, to be of use. I was listening to Oprah. I like Oprah. I admire the woman. I was listening to her a number of years ago. I admire her accomplishments. But what I admire the most about Oprah is that, well, there is a there there. There is a core to Oprah, as far as I'm concerned anyway, that is steady and true. A set of values and things that she values, something that she clings to and around which her life is organized. I may be drinking the Kool-Aid, but if I am, it tastes really good. I like it. (laughs) Anyway, one day, I don't listen to her often, but this one particular day I was listening, maybe in the background, and she said something that for me was a perfect articulation of what I want in my life, and for the purposes of this series, a way to describe the hero within it. This happened about 10 years ago. I'm recalling it as I was working on the show today that I wanted to say it this way. And she said, you know, my mother taught me, my grandmother taught me to say this. She said, Oprah, you say this and it will make your life, it will change your life. This is what your life is about. And and so Oprah is saying what her grandma told her. She said, Dear Lord, because you know Oprah is a religious person. You, If you know anything about Oprah, you know she's a religious person. Dear Lord, bless me to usefulness. Bless me to usefulness. There it is in four words. Bless me to usefulness. And for me, what I hear her saying is, let me have a heroic life. Let me be the hero of my own life. In the words of Charles Dickens, bless me to usefulness. Well, in this show, I want to show you what that means in two very different stories of two very different heroes. 
I hope I have time for both of them. If I don't, then I will continue the story of the second one in next week's show. And I also want to say to you, (laughs) one of the reasons why it's very hard for me to kind of predict whether or not I am going to finish a story is that I always write my shows and I write my own shows. I love to write and writing is the only way that I can find a way to talk. I can't make this up just by staring at the screen. I need a shape to it and I need to know what's called in writing the arc. What's the beginning, the middle, and the end point? And that kind of shape helps me. But a lot of what happens in the show happens uh, as a kind of surprise to me. I will go off on a tangent because, you know, maybe I'll hear your voice. I just feel the connection and I want to go into another corner of the topic and therefore the time, uh, the time changes and I don't get a chance to finish. So that may happen today and if so, I almost apologize but actually I think it's a good thing because it means that we have a richer experience together. You know, I, I have other, other pieces that I can bring into this that I think and I hope uh, are useful to you. So uh, we're going into our first break now. I will be here when you get back and we will start the story of Paulette Benedictus. That's her name, Paulette Benedictus. See you in a minute. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, welcome back. 
Welcome back to the second part of our show today at the Visual Workplace. This is Gwendolyn Galsworth. I am your host. I've been doing this work for now beyond 35 years. Oh, my goodness. And we've been on the air now for beyond five years. We're about to go into our sixth year in September. And what a thrill this is. I love this radio show and I love talking with you and I love the fact that you hear me and you get back to us and you tell us what's useful and what's not and where you are and how you're progressing it's all really very beautiful so thank you we are talking about the hero within and I'm going to present two heroes to you the first hero is uh, a woman named Paulette and she worked with a group I'll, I'll give you some details on her in just a moment There are going to be two different stories. The first is about Paulette and her team and revolves around a technical term called the value field, which I will explain to you. And the second is about Charlie and a very special table that he had, also a value field. I'll explain that. And my plan is to cover both. But as I say, if I get kind of off on a detour, we may have to pick this up next week. So I was working with a team at Skyworks Solution outside of Boston, a semiconductor plant that at the time was called Alpha Industries and then morphed into Skyworks Solutions. And I was working with about a dozen associates. Their supervisor, a gentleman named Kenny Bushmick, was a real thought leader. He was a supervisor. He would later become the VP of operations because of his enthusiastic, I would even say fanatical pursuit of excellence. He was a real thinker. And he used uh, uh, the shop floor to bring many, many innovations into Skyworks Solutions. And they were all successful not always at the beginning, but he kept at them. He kept working it, working until whatever the application was, whether it was pull systems or whether it was a pull system visual display, which we need to talk about someday, or what I'm talking about now, he stayed with it and he got a real outcome. He was working up an appetite for this, for excellence, in the bonding cell. That was the cell for which he was a supervisor at that time. And he asked me to come in to help make that bonding cell a demonstration um, area or a pilot, you would say. I call it a showcase. And he wanted me to take on the visual side. I said, of course, my pleasure. And so I engaged the group with the methodologies, principles, practices, conversion. The department was responsible for a wafer bonding process. There were lots of electronic microscopes around, a very important operational tool, and that'll come in later as this story unfolds. And as the step as the teams moved through the steps of the methodology, they began to notice, of course, their motion. That's part of the methodology. That's a principle of the methodology and the practice is to notice and track your motion. They use the memo pad, of course. I say of course because we've talked about the memo pad over these last five years time and time again. little pad you can put in your pocket, take notes on and keep a kind of personal diary for yourself about your motion. Little tick marks. As part of the early part of the process, and this is when this particular thing happened, we hadn't yet gone visual. I always ask this question. 
I ask, where is your value field? What is your value field? Where is it? Now, value field is a term of art, which means it's a term that I coined because of the needs of teaching. The value field is, as I define it, a place, the place where you add value, the place where you do your work. And going further, we say that work is moving and adding and not adding, I beg your pardon, and further, <laughs> I better get this straight because it's really important. When we define work, we talk about work as moving and adding value. Work is the opposite of motion, which we defined as moving and not working or moving and not adding value. Okay? Motion is the name that I give for the footprint of the enemy. I want to give you the pieces of this so you understand what the team was doing. The enemy is missing information from the workplace, and motion is its footprint. Motion is the only way that we can see the enemy missing information because the enemy itself is invisible. It isn't there. It's missing. Information deficits, by definition, are not visible. They're not there. If you've listened to the show, this will become, this is very clear to you by now. So, you can't see the enemy, but you can see the footprint motion. You can't see the enemy information deficit. You can see the footprint motion. And so, the value field becomes the place where you do your work. And whenever you're not in your value field, you are, by definition, not working. You are in motion. So with that, with those principles working together, we ask, where's your value field? Where do you add value? And in the process of talking about this, this was during an actual training session, everyone said pretty much with the same voice, our value field is our department. That's where we do our work. I said, okay, good. Let's poke at that. Let's see what that gets us. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to notice when you have to leave your value field. Notice when you're in motion because you've left your department. Notice when you can't work because you're no longer in your department. And keep track of it in your memo pad. That's your assignment. This assignment will have three parts. That's the first part. Keep track. Make a tick mark every time you leave. And... Keep track of the reasons you left, the causes. You can work solo or you can find a buddy and talk to the team. I'll be back in a couple of weeks. I want you to do this as an assignment. And the group was a congenial group and they were excited about doing it. They were eager for improvement. Two men who did the packing and ten women, mostly grandmothers, from many countries, many languages, France, Vietnam, two different regions of China, South Boston, a nation unto itself, Ireland, Italy, oh, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful life. So they did that. They tracked their motion. They tracked the reasons that, uh, that they l- left the department such as picking up parts, getting a special tool, picking up the next work order. And one of the special ones was going to a nearby department to a vented sink to wash off the parts. They tracked and they noted, we met and discussed. 
And then, second part of the assignment was, bring as many of the activities that cause you to leave your value field, the bonding department, back into the bonding department. Do that as a second part of your assignment. Bring it into the department, reduce your motion in that way. And they succeeded. They did it. In every case, except one, they were not able to bring the sink, the vented sink, into their area, so they still had to leave for that reason. But they got all the other reasons, and I remember them as being seven. So they got six out of the seven. That already had a tremendous impact. But there was a third part of the assignment, and that was now put what you brought back in and the rest of the department in excellent visual order. Implement the visual where, follow the methodology. The methodology is a border and an address and an ID label, if possible, for everything that casts a shadow. Border and address, not just a border, but a border and an address, and if possible, an ID label for everything that casts a shadow. That's the formula. It's very clear, and they did it. And keep track of your motion when that's done. So you can see the benefit, you can see the gain, because where there's less motion, and there will be, there will be more work and you'll be able to see it in your metrics, keep track. And so we did that. And they included many, many, many solutions on many levels. This week in our newsletter, The Visual Thinker, there's one solution posted that comes a little bit later. They followed the methodology. And when that was all in place, gorgeous. We gathered as a group and I said, well done. And they knew it. There was more flow, more real work. Everyone felt good. And I asked, but are we done? Are we done? Have we mastered the value field? We've made what you've done highly visual. All these reasons you've brought back in, but are we done? Can we rest now on our well-deserved laurels? So I will tell you what happened next, but I want to take a pause first and ask us to think about why am I sharing this story with you in a series on the hero within? What has this got to do with heroics? It sounds more like just another story about continuous improvement. In this case, we're using the structured methodology called the visual workplace conversion methodology, but still it's not exactly heroic. But what I want to say to you is the reverse is actually true. This is the hero part because you find it so modest that it doesn't seem to have enough drama to scale the heights of being a hero. And yet the men and women who worked in that bonding cell and in many cells like them, felt heroic in doing this work. Why? Well, they were making a contribution. That's one reason. And one that they could properly make. They were serving. They were making breakthroughs in their own corner of the world. Modest service is the hallmark of the hero. Heroes are not showy. A true hero is usually so humbled by what he or she managed to do 
that they're quite modest about it. You don't see many heroes banging on their chest and saying, hey, look, I'm a hero. But I want you to see how this happened, how the experience of being heroic happened across those 12 people. And one of the reasons they happened, it happened is because the methodology, and in general, methodology flattens the playing field and allows people to be equal, to have an equal shot, and to take that shot. Solid methodologies allow people who want to take the shot to take the shot. Methodology is made up of principles that are universally applicable. It doesn't matter how they are applied. It matters that they are applied. And from this point of view, there is no order of magnitude in terms of being heroic. There is simply, wow, that's fantastic what you just did, period, even if 11 other people joined you in doing their part. Mm -hmm. So we'll pick this up when we uh, come back from this, our next break. And I will remind you of something that we talked about just a short while ago. I'll see you in a minute. Thank you. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back. Welcome back to the third part of our show today at the Visual Workplace. Work that makes sense. 
Let the Workplace Speak. This is Gwendolyn Galsworth, and we're in the midst of kind of unnesting this idea of the relationship between the hero and change, the hero and systematic change, the hero and methodology. This is the first part of the show. The second part, which will be about Charlie, which we'll probably get to next week, is slightly different. It's kind of dealing with grumpy heroes, which is very, very important. Profiles of the hero do not need to look like Superman or Spider-Man or Mr. America. I'm trying to think of, oh, who was Martin Downey Jr. playing somebody in a mechanical suit? I'm sorry, the name escapes me. But this is... This is um, popular culture's hero. I'm talking about the hero who is in our life every day, standing right next to me and standing right next to you. I'm talking about Ted. Remember Ted, the man in the first show in this series, who went to work for a big aerospace company in Texas? He went to work because he wanted to be like his daddy who was making those fighter jets that streaked across the sky. I want to make those when I grow up, he said as a young boy. I want to be like my daddy. I want to do something great. Fresh out of high school, Ted went on to say he was hired by that aerospace company. I went in to be a hero. These are his words, not mine. I'm quoting him. I went in to be a hero, Gwendolyn, he said to me. I wanted to do something great. That was 27 years ago. Ted paused, and then he asked, What happened? What happened? This is what was in my heart. What happened? My heart was into it, but I never got the opportunity. This is the heart of it. This is our heart. If you will, this is the heart of a lion in each of us, wanting to and needing to roar. Tremendous internal power, wanting to, needing to get out, to express itself, to create, to share. We are made this way. And part of the responsibility of our employer, of our bosses, of the managers and CEOs and GMs amongst us, those of you who are listening, is to help people find that hero within and bring it out because it will serve the company. It will serve the corporate intent and you will have whole human beings working for you who are giving the very strength of who they are. Distinctly, Charlie did not fit the bill of any of the profile of any of the heroes I mentioned a moment ago. He was just a derelict personality. You'll have to come back next week to hear about him. But tremendous internal power and a a tremendous desire to be useful, to be blessed to usefulness. But he did it in an odd way. And in the bonding cell, these men and women had the opportunity to do it in a more kind of usual way. In a way, I'm saying to you, Ladies and gentlemen, and many, many of you are continuous improvement specialists, your lean leaders, your visual leaders, you're into operational excellence as a way of life. This is a part of who you are. Have great value for what you're doing and for what the other people around you are doing who are trying to create to insert this paradigm 
that wants to happen into the workplace. It has to happen. It is happening. It's happening. It's happening through your, through your effort and through your leadership. But it's also cooperating. It wants to happen. You are igniting it. Something ignited in my soul, fever or unremembered wings. Fever or unremembered wings, said Pablo Neruda. And I went my own way deciphering that burning fire. He's talking about his experience when he decided, I must write poetry. And he went many, many, many years trying to do something else, but this lion's roar was in his heart. And it came out, and he was the poet laureate of... I believe it was Peru or Chile, forgive me for not knowing off the top of my head. This unbelievably, unbelievable poetry. Read his poem on salt. On salt. S-A-L-T and weep. This ode to salt. Unbelievable. I wish I had it nearby. I would read it. You probably are glad that I don't. (laughs) Something ignited in my soul. It was there. And it simply ignited And that's the work that you who are involved in this work of improvement, both in teaching it and doing it, this is what you're doing. You're simply responding to a very deep need to be useful. And it's beautiful, all of these differences. And I want to put this in that context. This is, in a way, a different interpretation, a translation, if you will, of respect for the individual, which I think needs to be said in many, many different ways. It's become, be nice to your mother. You don't really know what it is until you look at it in a thousand different ways. Respect for the individual needs to be said in many ways for us to get that, in fact, it's our behavior and we can engage in it. So going back to our story in the bonding cell, let's see what happens next. So there we were sitting together, and I asked. They had brought all the reasons that they left the bonding cell back into their bonding cell, made it visual, fantastic, and I asked, are we done? Have we mastered our value field? There was silence. The group was thinking. Everyone was thinking. Are we done? Wait, wait, wait. Bernice, Bernice Santos, a bonding specialist, she raised her hand. She said, wait a minute, you know what, I've been thinking. I don't know if I'm right or wrong, but I've been thinking. We've done all this work and things are looking really good, but I'm not certain that my real value field is the department. I really, I think, you know, it might be someplace else. I don't think it's the department. I think, I think it's my workbench. Because that's really where I add value. Bingo. These are moments that if you're a trainer or a coach, you just get down on your knees and you thank the Lord. Thank you. Because you didn't have to teach it. It came. It came because of the structure of the moment. And nods all around. Everybody said, oh, yeah, you know, you're right, Bernice. And I was thinking, oh, my God, this is fantastic. This opens the doorway for us to go just flow into the next piece. And they did. The group flowed into the next piece. They accepted that their own workbench was, in fact, their value field where they really did their work and they tracked all the times that they had to leave their workbench. 
the newly defined value field. They tracked the reasons, the causes, and then they saw how many reasons, how many causes they could get back into the bench so they didn't have to get up unless they wanted to, and then they made it visual. And the conversion, the visual conversion, continued with a much finer focus. And the skills that were used in the first part were rolled over to the second part. Everyone was learning much more deeply, and they parlayed that knowledge into the next phase. And over the next few weeks, the bonding group did this excellent re, what is it called, reset. This visual reset, bit by bit, part by part. A few weeks, a few weeks later, we reconvened. We saw what was done. It was fantastic. And I said, you know what? I'm going to ask, don't you? And they said, yes. <laughs> Are we done? <laughs> we think we're done. <laughs> Shall we check by videotape I offered? And a few minutes later, the videotape was set up. Actually, it was, actually it was the next day. I asked for a volunteer. Who wants to volunteer to be the a subject of our videotape. We're going to videotape you at your bench to see if and when you get up and leave. Because <laughs> that's how we had to find motion, leaving your bench. It was no longer leaving your department. Well, Paulette Benedictos, whom I mentioned before, raised her hand. She was a veteran bonder. She volunteered to be the subject. And she was also... She always came to work decked to the nines. Her nails were done. Her hair was done. She's a French lady. And she always looked like she was ready for camera. (laughs) So she came the next day. I came the next day. And I said, okay, let's run this for about 45 minutes. See if she leaves her value field. Just do your work, Paulette. Just pretend we're not, we don't have a camera trained on you. And we'll gather around two o'clock and take a look, see what happened. And so the tape rolled, the tape rolled, and she was done, and it appeared to us that she never got up, when that wasn't from the tape, but that's just because I was hanging around. I didn't ever see her leave her bench, and I thought, oh, I guess there's no more learning here. And then we gathered around 2 o'clock, and we watched the tape, and it was really interesting. There we were, 12 people plus me in a dark room watching the tape, just watching Paula Paulette look through her electron mo- microscope, fussing with this, fussing with that, fussing with this, fussing with that, doing her work. But something truly remarkable happened in that darkened room. So remarkable that the entire group gasped in unison loudly. At the same time, at the exact same time, at the exact same moment, and at the exact same thing that we saw. We saw something and it made us go, like that, (laughs) sharp intake of air, (gasps) like that, all of us. (laughs) It was quite a moment. And you know what? We're slipping into our third and final break and you're just going to have to wait until you get back. I'll be here and we'll see what is it? What was that thing that happened? (laughs) I'll be here. See you in a minute. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. 
Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, welcome back. This is Gwendolyn, and I'm glad that you're staying for the end of the show. Things are getting exciting. Just before the break, we were talking about all of us watching the videotape with Paulette Benedictus, the center of the filming, and watching her in the bonding process at her electronic microscope. We watched, we saw something happened at the same time, the exact same thing, and we all, at, the exact, at that exact moment, gasped. We went, <gasps> like that. <gasps> and this is what we saw. We saw Paulette peering into her microscope, doing something, work. It was minute work with the, with the semiconductor. We saw her reach for something, She's still working away, working away. She's peering into her microscope. She reaches. That's one. She reaches again. That's two. And the third time she reached, she looked up. She reached. Her hand was not finding what it was looking for. She looked up. And it was at that exact moment that everyone went, (gasps) Like that, everyone went, (laughs) oh my gosh, all of a sudden we saw something that we never expected. I'm included. I included. You know, I'm the teacher, but I am always learning. If you're a teacher, you know this to be true. And it is part of the the reason that we teach. We learn so much. And it is a privilege. We saw. Paulette, in her value field, working, and then suddenly she was in motion, and she had not left 
her bench. She had not left her chair. She was still at her bench. Suddenly, motion was no longer, certainly no longer leaving the department, but it was also not leaving the bench. Suddenly, motion was what? Was looking up, looking up. She lost contact with her value field, which had in that moment been redefined. By looking up, Paulette brought to our attention that her true value field was not the department, was not her bench, but was that postage stamp size square at the bottom of her microscope, that little platform. That was her value field. You know, some of you are definitely smart enough to have anticipated that. But I tell you, those 14 pairs of eyes, am I getting it right? 13 pairs of eyes trained on the screen. We had that learning moment simultaneously and it was powerful. And if you had told me about it, I would not have learned it. I would have to have remembered it to have learned it. But I experienced it that day. It was a powerful moment in my life. A powerful moment that I remember as I'm describing it to you in this, in this day. So all motion would be measured from there. Now this today is not a radio show about implementing the technical principles of visual thinking. This that we're in now is a series called The Hero Within, and so it's about using technology to bring the hero out because heroes are, by definition, expressive. They reach beyond themselves. They reach into the new. They reach into the unknown. They simply reach because of this lion heart that they have within, that each of us has within. You could call it spirit, the heart of the workplace, the heart of the lion, the spirit of the workplace, the spirit of the lion inside of you, inside of me. It's the same spirit. It guides and drives us and makes us not just want to do good, but want us, want us, makes us want to find the good, find the good, to be useful, to be useful. Paulette was the focus, but every single grandmother in the group and the two men and myself learned something, and it was stunning. Who could forget that? (gasps) Like that. I'm running a series right now, I think I told you, on the invisible enemy in our newsletter, mapping it out word for word, giving you exercises. Today, just by coincidence, in yesterday's issue, you were asked to measure your motion based on your definition of the value field. So you can learn about the technique of that. But what I'm saying is methodology, especially methodology that has surprises in it, not just cookie-cutter learning and doing, where you're really teaching a system of thinking, which is what visuality is about. It is first a system of thinking and then a system of application. When you're teaching a system of thinking, and no, really, you're teaching people to fish. You're not just feeding them, you're teaching them to, th- to fish and to have the adventure of that fishing. Of getting the pole ready, finding the river, 
putting the bait on, going after the fish, missing the fish, seeking the fish, getting the fish. That's my fish. That's me. Don't mess with the me and me. Hmm? Don't try to change me. I will change myself. People don't mind change. What they do mind is when you you want to change me. (laughs) We mind that a lot. We mind that a lot. So that's what our show is about today, about Paulette Benedictus, about this moment at Skyworks Solution where something was revealed that was extraordinarily hidden before. And it was a shared moment, and we used it very, very well. Next week, we will talk about Charlie, the grumbler, what to do with the grumpy eye. And I, I would have been wise to divide this into two shows anyway. They're very, very different, and they both deserve, both these stories deserve the time and the contemplation to be carefully unfolded and unnested because of the lessons, I have to tell you, because of the lessons that I learned. This could have disappeared from my understanding in a blink, but I had the great good fortune to, uh, to be there and to understand what I was seeing. So I want to close with a wonderful poem, which I've read to you before. It's by uh, an Irishman. He was a Jesuit priest. His name, Gerard Manley Hopkins. He did wonderful poems wonderful poems. And this one is called As Kingfishers Catch Fire. I'd like to read it because it has to do with the me in Don't Mess With the Me, in the me in the roar of the lion with this deep and complete power within. So, as kingfishers catch fire, as kingfishers catch fire, dragonflies draw flame. As tumbled over rim and roundy wells stones ring, like each tuck string tells, each hung bell's bow swung finds tongue to fling out broad its name. Each mortal thing does one thing and the same, deals out that being indoors each one dwells. Selves goes itself, myself it speaks and spells, crying what I do is me, for that I came. Crying what I do is me, for that I came. I repeated that last line. For me, this is the heart of the continuous improvement process. Continuous improvement is our natural steady state. When it is not happening, something is wrong. When we don't have the mindset of exploration and life as our adventure, something's wrong. The trick is, we have to have that happen at work. Even though I'm involved in repetitive tasks, and even though you have an application of lean that is superior, the architecture of lean is all in place, standard work, time, pull, beat. We need to keep that spirit of exploration going. This is one of the great attractions of continuous improvement. But what I say, this is Gwendolyn's point of view, is that unless you teach principles, you can't have ongoing practice. And part of the problem that I have, that I think is easily corrected in continuous improvement, 
is that the principles are not surfaced so that people can't apply them and reapply them again and again and go deeper and drill into the details and find that which is hidden. Find the redefinition, as we saw just here, of something that seems to be so obvious as the value field where I do my work. It is not formulaic if you teach people to think. It is formulaic formulaic if you simply give them an instruction and say, do this, or here's what we're going to do, now do this. It's pretty much the same thing. We are beings of great depth, and at work, work can nourish us in a way that we can make a contribution aligned to the corporate intent, of course. But we can also change. Work can change us and help us grow. You've heard this theme through me many, many times. What does growth mean for me? We ask it of our companies. What does growth mean for the company? What does growth mean for me? I don't know if I have time for this. I think I probably don't, but let me give it a try. I've heard of a Native American ritual where couples will be married and every year they will meet circled by the entire tribe they will they will hand their partner in marriage a rock they'll exchange rocks and they'll have a ceremony once a year where they decide or not to hand the rock again here's your rock we'll stay married and the one question that they organize around is to what extent have I helped my partner grow and the tribe is listening and to the extent that I have helped my partner grow we either stay married or not it's the same idea we're here to grow and we can grow through work we can certainly grow through visuality and it becomes management's job to find the ways for that to happen Hmm? I had a wonderful time with you I hope this has been useful to you And uh, we'll see you next week. Let the workplace speak. We appreciate your joining us this week for The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense. Please tune in for another episode next Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, featuring your host, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, on the Voice America Business Channel. Thanks again for listening. 